what is your favorite subject in school? Now, um, since we have some of our kids here today, I'm going to let our kids help me with that. So let's just take a vote across the room. Okay, let's, I'll throw out math. Who are math people? Raise your hand. Wow, Charlotte's a math person. Connor's a math person. Sid's a math person. That's good. Okay, very good. All right, uh, notice I did not raise my hand on that one. Um, all right, let's go uh, history. Any history people? Yeah, Mr. Bob back there, history. Any history up there? Joy, good. All right, okay. Uh, some PhD history over there. I got it. Um, let's see. Let's go uh, English. Any English people? Oh, wow. That's impressive. Very good. Science. Nice. Gosh. Caleb, get two hands and standing up. Man, that's great. Well, we, uh, we look forward to uh, your, your future in chemistry or whatever it is, whichever science you pick. Uh, that's good. Uh, music. All right, good. Got some music people, so I guess that. Uh, art, very good. Standing up too. Uh, bacon, yeah, bacon, yeah, yeah. I mean, I took bacon as often as I could to school, um, and, and I still take it to work, you know, when I can. Well, one day, Jesus was teaching his friends about different subjects. He went up on a mountain, and he sat down on this mountain, and he began to teach. Now, that's how things used to be done. It used to be that the teacher would sit down, and everybody else would stand up. Aren't you glad we don't do it that way anymore? You know, you'd be standing up, and I'd be sitting down. So Jesus sat down, and he began to teach them on all these different kinds of subjects. And there were a lot of different things. They were very, very good subjects. And, and then suddenly, he, he turned into one specific subject. It was a subject that was unlike the rest of the subjects. It was a subject that really is the most important subject that we could possibly have. And so when he's teaching his friends, he's giving them the most important subject that they could ever learn anything about. So what is that subject? Well, today we begin a new series called Higher. Uh, we'll be spending the next few weeks uh, walking through Matthew chapter 5, uh, looking at some very specific words from Jesus and this very specific important subject. It's the kind of subject that can change your life and not just your life, but it can change the lives of the people around you. So what is this subject that Jesus began to teach his friends? Let's see if we can find out together. We're going to read through uh, all of the section from verses 43 to verses 48 in Matthew chapter 5. They'll be on the screen or you can follow along in your Bible. Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 43, this is what Jesus said up on the mountain. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may prove yourselves to be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors, do they not do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Even the Gentiles, do they not do the same? Therefore, you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
So what is this most important subject that Jesus is teaching? Well, he's teaching on love. Love is the big subject, and we'll spend the weeks ahead unpacking everything that I just read, all of those words from Jesus. But for now, for just a moment, I want us to think about that last part. Be perfect like God is perfect. Jesus says, look, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to be perfect like God. Perfect? I mean, come on. I mean, nobody's perfect. What in the world is Jesus talking about? Well, what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about love. Jesus is referring to love. And so he's saying there is a way for us to pursue a, a perfect love, so to speak. But how can we do that if we're not perfect? I mean, we can't be perfectly perfect in love. But Jesus is pressing us in that direction. He wants us to move in that direction. Think of it this way. Imagine that for Christmas, you got a new video game, okay? This may be true of somebody in the room, I don't know. And you got a new video game and you're sitting there playing your video game when your little sister comes in the room. And your little sister comes in the room and she is wearing her princess dress that she got for Christmas. And she is wearing her princess slippers that she got for Christmas. And she is waving her fairy godmother wand that she got for Christmas. And she is carrying her unicorn water bottle that she got for Christmas. And inside of her unicorn water bottle is the green holiday Grinch punch that your mom made for Christmas. And as she walks into the room, suddenly her princess slippers slip. And she starts falling toward your video game. And the lid on her unicorn water bottle wasn't exactly screwed on correctly. And as she falls forward toward your video game, all of the green holiday Grinch punch falls out on your video console, in your video console, sparks fly everywhere, and the screen goes blank. Now, don't answer out loud, but what would you want to do to your little sister in that moment? Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, so we didn't answer. We just made sound effects. Nice. Good. This is why we love our family services. We would probably want to be angry, right? We'd want to go, you know, break the, the heels off of the princess slippers, and we'd want to go rip the arms off the princess dress, and we want to take that fairy godmother wand and snap it across our leg. We would be really upset. And adults, before we hear this as a kid's story and a kid illustration, let's put it in our own words. How do we act when we're in traffic and things don't go right? How do we act when we're standing in line to return those Christmas gifts? How, how do we act when we're starting to check things off the honeydew list? How do we act when we have to go to that restaurant with all the dead animals on the wall and we really don't want to eat there? How do we act when we're listening to talk radio or watching the news on TV or, or watching our favorite team in our big game? How do we act when, when things don't go the way we want them to go? How do we respond? This is the whole point of why Jesus sat down and started teaching. It's the whole point of why Jesus specifically started teaching about love. Because what he wanted his friends to do was to hear this teaching so that in that moment when they are about to lose their minds, he wants them to not lose their minds. Now again, 
None of us are perfect. We will all have sinful moments, but Jesus is pressing us in the direction that we need to go the most, the most important subject, the most important direction, not just for other people, but for our hearts and not just for our own hearts, but for other people and also for the glory of God. Jesus is pressing us toward love. He's pressing us to see that, that when things are not like we wanted them to be, we always have this moment where what he was trying to get his friends to remember was, no matter what's happening, don't forget the love of God. Don't forget the grace of God. Don't forget the forgiveness of God. And when everything is falling apart, remember that God keeps loving you and he keeps forgiving you when you dump your green holiday punch on his grace all day, every day. When you just ignore his grace and ignore his mercy and ignore his compassion, where you just plow ahead and, and do your own thing, forgetting how much grace you've received, how much forgiveness you've received, how much love you've received. So let's go back into our moment. It's very easy in that moment for you to look at your sparkling video game that has been destroyed and to be angry, but oh, how easy it is for you to forget that just the day before, that you were outside spray painting gold and blue lightning bolts on your scooter. Yeah, and you weren't really paying attention to the wind. And as you spray painted your scooter with those gold and blue lightning bolts, the, the wind was actually picking up some of that paint that you were spraying. And lo and behold, when your dad came home, he looked over at his brand new ATV that he got for Christmas. The one that he was going to take to the hunting club, that, that rich, dark gray, brand new, so excited. And he casually looked over and he noticed there was this mist of blue and gold paint all over his brand new ATV. And he didn't have you arrested. He didn't kill you. He, he showed you love. He showed you grace. He showed you mercy and forgiveness. What Jesus is doing in this moment is trying to get his friends to see. Here's the trigger you always need. Love the way that God loves. Be perfect in the way that, that God is perfect. In the context of love, he's saying this perfection is pursuing. I'm pressing you toward loving the way that God loves. And how can we do that? How, how can we even pursue this kind of perfect love? Well, we have to think higher, we have to look higher, and we have to feel higher. There's something higher that we must do. The Apostle Paul was writing to the Colossian church, and, and he said this, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ Jesus, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is. One of the ways that we can pursue this perfect love of God is by keeping on looking up to Jesus. So we're going to do that right now in a super practical way. I've been in the church my whole life uh, since I was born. In fact, I just found a, a note in a, in a bag of, of things in a file in my room from someone inviting my parents to baby dedication in 1972 for me when I was born. So I've always been in the church. And I've been in a lot of different churches, a lot of different sanctuaries, even sanctuaries and worship centers outside of our country. 
but I don't think I've ever been in one like ours. There is something about our sanctuary, this place where we get to worship, that has tons of light, more light than any sanctuary I really have ever been in. And you know why we have that kind of light? We have that kind of light because of the way God's sunlight comes through these very unique stained glass windows. And did you know that these stained glass windows are not just windows, they tell a story. And so we're going to see what that story is today, starting right over here. This very first window, you can look up. That's what we're doing. We're looking higher. You can look up and you can see that there's a star in that picture because this first window says born in Bethlehem. It's telling a, a story of the birth of Jesus. God so loved the world, not just in general. God so loved you that he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to be born to reverse the curse of sin and death. Jesus is not just a, a fancy Christmas story. Jesus was born on purpose to rescue us, to reverse the curse of sin and death. When God sent Jesus to Bethlehem, what he was doing was inviting us to believe in and rely on and trust in and cling to Jesus in such a way that our life would not end when our life ends. But on that Bethlehem night, it was the beginning of God creating eternal life. So when we look up at this first stained glass window, it reminds us that it is the birth of Jesus that gives us a deeper and more joyful look at the higher love of God. The next window, it's like a little brick building, little guy out there casting a rod, fishing. And the window at the bottom, it says, ministered throughout Galilee. Now, Galilee was, was really kind of a, a nothing place. It was an ordinary place. In fact, Jesus was teaching on the mountain that day. He was in Galilee. But it was just an ordinary place. It wasn't the center of the universe. But in that ordinary place, Jesus began doing something extraordinary. He began reversing the curse of sin and death. Jesus began to proclaim the glory of God. And, and ordinary people, just like me and just like you, they started hearing this message from Jesus and they began responding. They started following Jesus and their lives were changed. So when we look up at this window and we think of Galilee, Galilee reminds us very simply of the higher love of God. The story continues with the next window. It shows a, a nice little scene with some water there, and, and it says on the bottom, baptized in the Jordan. Now, why was Jesus baptized? I mean, when we're baptized, it's representing that, that we have been rescued by Jesus, that in a sense it is symbolic that our sins have been washed away. Well, Jesus didn't need his sins washed away. He, he didn't even need it symbolically. So why was Jesus baptized? Why is it important for us to remember that? Because this window is a picture reminding us that Jesus is truly God and truly man. He was perfect God and perfect man. And Jesus identified with us. 
For Jesus to be baptized was, was like a first step, so to speak. It was this proclamation that only Jesus could wash away our sins. Only salvation through Jesus would change our life forever. So looking up at a stained glass window reminding us of Jesus' baptism is a way for us to see and remember the higher love of God. The next window there is a little road, a little path, and, and you might see in that window a little, little brick square. It, it's like a little well. And, and the window says that he taught throughout Samaria. And, and one of those teaching times was, was with a woman, a woman that no one wanted to have anything to do with. Everybody stayed away from her, but, but Jesus, he engaged with her. He told her about God's truth, and her life was completely changed. In other words, through this one conversation with Jesus, the curse was reversed. The curse of sin and death moved away from her life. It moved away from what she was thinking, from what she was doing, and how she believed. So looking up at a stained glass window, reminding us that in the story of Jesus, there was a time where he would teach in Samaria, reminds us that no matter how outcast we may feel, no matter how alone we may feel, Jesus in his kindness still teaches. He still comes to us. He still rescues. He still redeems. So we can look at that stained glass window and we can remember the higher love of God in and through Jesus. And then the next one. The next one perhaps gives us the most vivid image of the love of God. And it says, offered upon Calvary. God sent Jesus, not just to the manger, but God sent Jesus to the cross. God sent Jesus to love us by giving himself up for us. It's on the cross that Jesus really engaged with the full reversing of the curse. He absorbed the penalty of our sin. Perhaps nowhere other than the cross do we see the higher love of God more vividly. C.S. Lewis, in describing what, what the cross is, used this language. He said, this is the diagram of love himself. Not itself, but himself. And he goes on to say this. This is the diagram of love himself, the inventor of all loves. If you're looking for the definition of love, you have to begin with God. He is the inventor of all loves. Anything that we might love, it is birthed from the love of God. His love is pure. And the cross of Calvary reminds us deeply and richly and abundantly about the higher love of God. So we keep looking up and we keep looking up. The story of Jesus is not just a bunch of stained glass windows though. The story of Jesus is, is deeper and richer because if we repent of our sins and if we're rescued by Jesus, that means we receive Jesus and we are raised up with Jesus. We're raised up. What in the world does that mean? Well, it means that right now, if you're a believer, you have already been raised up with Jesus Christ. That's the language of the entire New Testament. 
We have been raised up with Jesus positionally. We have been raised up with Jesus Christ right now. As you sit in this room, as you watch online, as you listen, if you are a Christian, you have been raised up with Jesus Christ. And in the moment that you die, you will go from being positionally raised up to permanently raised up. And if Jesus returns in the next few minutes, then you will go from positionally raised up to permanently raised up. To be raised up with Jesus Christ is one of the most satisfying realities that anyone can ever have. But if the permanent part hadn't happened yet, what's going on now? Well, on another day, Jesus said this, John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Dear Christian, on, on this New Year's Day, and on every single millisecond of every other day of your life, everything about the gospel says that right now you have been raised up with Jesus Christ, and one day you will be gloriously raised up with Jesus Christ. This is not just a, a promise, this is a guarantee. But until that moment happens, Jesus is shepherding you. He's leading you, he's guiding you toward home for the christian we are always almost home when i became a, a believer at 11 years old i was already almost home and now 40 years later I, i'm still already almost home and what Jesus is doing and what he's teaching his friends up on that mountain is, look, pursue the perfect love of God so that your mind and your heart can think more about home. So that you can be filled with the confidence of home. And how is Jesus our good shepherd? Well, you know what? We have another side of the room. We have a whole nother section of windows over here that tell us a whole nother story that fulfills this story in some ways. The first window, it says that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know what that means? That means that if you have Jesus, you'll have everything that you need. And even though you may not understand it, everything that you want. Everything that you want and need is all in Jesus. And Jesus, the good shepherd, he is shepherding you toward that every single moment. The next window, beautiful little fields, and, and it says at the bottom, he maketh me lie down in green pastures. You know what that means? What it means is this. When we are overwhelmed with anger, with fear, with worry, with drama, with, with anything else in life, Jesus, as a good shepherd, he says, hey, come here, lay down, <laughs> just come on, just take a minute and just, and just breathe. Just breathe and, and remember that the curse has been reversed in your life. So whatever it is that you're facing right now, just, just take a moment and, and lie down in this green pasture and remember the higher love of God. The next window, it shows another water scene. This one isn't baptism. It says at the bottom, he leadeth me beside the still waters. You know what that means? It means that sometimes we're not thirsty for God. 
We're not. We're thirsty for anger. We're thirsty for, for worry and fear and drama and entertainment and, and comfort and so many other things. And the good shepherd, Jesus, what he does is he brings us to see that our thirst will only be satisfied in God. There's no other place that we will ever have a thirst satisfied than in the person of God. The next window, it, it shows again that the shepherd with the sheep and the words are very simple. It says, I will fear no evil. Why? Why we will fear no evil? Well, well the window tells us because God is with us. Jesus is with us, not, not like sitting in the room with us. So much better is what Jesus is. Jesus, in a more deeper way, is with us from the inside. So from the inside out, we have Jesus. When we are alive, we have Jesus. And when we are dead, we have Jesus all the more. No one else can make that claim and fulfill it. Only Jesus. But, but what does it mean that we have Jesus today, but he's with us when we die? What, what does that mean? Next window tells us. The next window says, what I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why does that matter? Why does it matter that we would dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Well, here's just, just one reason why. And this will make us uncomfortable for a second. It's all right, hang in there with me. Here's what it means. It means that no matter what President Biden does, and no matter what Governor McMaster does, and no matter what Pastor Dow does, and no matter what your boss does or your teacher does or your coach does, no, no matter what your mom does or your dad does or your son does or your daughter does, no matter what the stock market does, no matter what the gas pump does, no matter what sickness in your body does, dear Christian, you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Nothing and no one can ever change that. You have been raised up with Jesus Christ. Right now, you have union with the Savior of the world, and that changes everything. It changes every moment. And it's exactly why Jesus is teaching his friends about love. He's trying to get them higher. He wants them to see that they are always almost home. And this, this is not our home. We, we are passing through. We are, we are aliens here. This is not our home. So we keep looking up. We keep looking up at the, the higher love of God, whether it's a stained glass window that we walk by all the time. I, I mean, honest, how many of you have ever looked up the stained glass windows? How many of you have ever read them, you know? How, how often have you been in this room? Well, I, I didn't even know those were there. 
Well, you can't say that anymore because now you've heard a bit of the story. Now you've looked up a little bit. And what we're going to do as we begin this new year is we're going to keep doing that. Not looking up at the stained glass windows. We've done that. But, but we're going to keep looking up at the higher love of God. And here's why. Lewis is right. He's the inventor of love. He's the inventor of all loves. And listen, God loves God loves you. Like, like, put your name in the sentence. God loves you. How do I know that? I can say it in one word. Jesus. That's how I know God loves you. Because of Jesus. So, let's keep looking higher and higher and higher.